How many of you happen to turn on your television this afternoon and hear a program that was called Tell It Like It Is? Anybody? Well, you really missed something. I uh, had seen it uh, uh, advertised and uh, I didn't realize that it was a religious musical program put on by WNBC. And lo and behold, it was written by Ralph Carmichael, words and music, and sung by the finest group of young people for one solid hour I have ever seen. And they read the scriptures from Philippians 2, it so thrilled my heart that the tears just rolled down my cheeks, I guess Alice and I. Uh, they read the portion, the whole background of it was in Philippians, the second chapter, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was the theme. And uh, it really was tremendous. I'm writing the NBC. Well, of course, after it finished, you know, I often, the Southern Baptists bother me sometimes, but when it got down to the very end, it said, put on, by the Southern Baptist Convention, which is this year, I might tell you, putting $6 million into television. $6 million into television programs. And uh, the chorus was from Baylor University, the young people, and uh, they sang this whole thing by Ralph Carmichael. And uh, it really was a tremendous presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was truly thrilled. I don't often see something like that. Oh, there may be areas maybe that I wouldn't go along, you know, but the general theme. How many of you ever remember the moral rearmament? Now, this had nothing to do with Christ, but up with people. Do you remember that, uh, the young people who came around and went? Well, the, uh, the theme was of a similar character. Only Christ was in it, you see. This was tremendous. So I praise the Lord for programs like that, and when I saw that, and, and in the end this, this fine black man had such a young fellow, had such a tremendous voice, and at the end they're speaking of the love of Christ, let that mind be in you, and this, uh, this uh, black and white man are putting their arms around each other, that's how it finishes, walking down, you can't love unless you have Christ in your heart, you know, it's thrilling to see. So I really praise the Lord. And uh, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I thought, I'm going to see what this, how it is, you know. And uh, it was a lot better than I ever thought it would be, tell it like it is. Because I often say, you know, Paul doesn't tell it like it is. He tells it like it should be, right? <laughs> he tells it like it should be. All right, tonight, uh, so much for that. I'd like to speak to you, if I could. Uh, you know, we were talking this morning about those portions of Scripture in Romans and 6 and 7 and 8. And, uh, of course, in that latter part of 7, Paul uh, uses that tremendous theme, thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And tonight I would like to speak, if I could, from Ephesians 6. I know you've all turned to Romans 7. But now if you'll turn to Ephesians 6, and I'd like to speak to you a little bit about that whole armor of God. Because it's a very, very exciting theme. And I wonder sometimes if we've really ever come to grips with the portion itself and understood it fully in what it has to say to our hearts. It's in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, beginning with the tenth verse. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now notice these verses here. Stand, therefore, because he's talked about the armor, now he becomes specific. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts, and it should be of the wicked one. It's referring specifically here to Satan, because we've been dealing with the wiles of Satan. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication, all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I'm going to close the portion right there. Now, the thing that I want you to notice especially is that he doesn't just say, put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't conclude there. In other words, he just doesn't make a statement, put on the whole armor of God without telling us about the specific parts of the armor of God. He wants to say more than just put on the whole armor of God. He will not leave it at that. He wants to guide us into truth here as to what this armor is. He's telling us, of course, that we must have our loins girt about with truth, and that's the foundation, that's the beginning. Then we have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then, of course, he says, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, there's a break then here. This is a very important break. It's a transition, so to speak. And then he says, above all. He breaks away from the first three, and he says, above all. But the word really here translated doesn't mean it's more important or anything of that character. But what it does mean is that in addition to all of these, you must do the following. Above all, 
This has to come in. And so he lets us know that there is more than just the first three. And uh, this transition takes place from the first three uh, of the girdle of truth, of the breastplate of righteousness, of the feet shod with the gospel of peace, and then he comes and above all, you see. It's a transition going into a, another area completely. Now, this introduces us to some other thoughts, and the transition is a very important transition because the, if I might suggest it this way, the first three, you'll notice how the wording is in those first three. Having your learns girt about with truth, notice that, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, notice the transition. Taking. You see? The whole tense has changed. The whole thing has changed. You have these, you see. Now you're going to take, you see. See the transition? Tremendous. The next three are takes. The first three you have. Let me put it this way. Let's look at the, at the soldier, the Roman gladiator of the day, all right? And after all, that's what we have to look at. He has on the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate is, is, is fastened to him. He has on the girdle of truth. This is fastened to him. He has the, the sandals on his feet. They're fastened to him. They're part of him, you see? They're a permanent setup. But you notice the other parts of his garb or his great armor, he does not have, he takes. Notice what he takes. He takes then the shield of faith. You take up a shield. He takes, notice, the helmet of salvation, you put it on, you can take it off. And the sword of the Spirit. So these are things you see he takes. So that this transition is a tremendous transition. He has the others, but he takes these. And the, the thought here is a tremendous thought because he's talked about us fighting against the wiles of the devil. These tremendous powers, he says, you are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Remember we sang that hymn 517, I think it was, about the fight is on. Talks about putting the armor on, see? But we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. If it were human beings we were wrestling against, we could fight it by ourselves. But he says, remember, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is not your warfare. Your warfare is essentially with Satan himself. Notice who he says we fight with. Not flesh and blood, 12th verse, but principalities against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
And in the 11th verse, he says, you must have the whole armor on that you can fight against the devil in his wiles. And so there is a tremendous conflict that goes on here in our hearts. And that conflict is with Satan himself. If you don't recognize the conflict with Satan, you're in for tremendous problems, Christian. He'll beat you at every turn. He'll ruin you. He's out warring against the saints. Satan goeth about like a roaring lion, devouring what? Whomever he will. And he's not interested in the world. Satan always appears before the throne of God accusing the brethren. That's what the scripture says. Just waiting. And the warfare is a wily one. He fights against us. And the wonderful thing is that we have certain permanent things that are fastened to us. The girdle of truth to God against Satan's lies the breastplate of righteousness, impenetrable for him to change in one little bit. For we have been made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Fastened to us. He cannot touch us. And our feet shod with the gospel of peace. And I couldn't help but think, when I think of our feet shod, it made me think, to run for God, to run toward people that we might see them saved like Philip running up alongside of the Ethiopian eunuch that he might speak to him about Jesus Christ from the scriptures, running too. Then I couldn't help but think it's not only running too, but it's running away. He says, flee temptations. Run. Don't see how close you can come to them. Our feet shod with a gospel of peace to our hearts. How can we have peace to our hearts? How can we bring peace to others? This glorious gospel of peace. First, it's peace for us and peace for them. Number one, we're to be running toward them to see them one for Jesus Christ. The greatest peace the child of God can have is when he's a soul winner. The greatest joy of his heart will be in winning others for Jesus Christ. Remember in the marriage supper of the Lamb, it says that very thing, that we're being joined to Christ in this glorious marriage supper in Romans 7. It tells us, join to him who is risen from the dead, that we might bring forth fruit unto God. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. And so there is that running to people, running away from sin, flee temptation. We're not to see how close we can come to it, but to flee temptation. And then to stand fast and resist the devil. And so those feet are very important. We can resist this tremendous power. And so those first three are ours. You'll notice the verb used is having. You're not taking those. You're taking on the shield of faith. Now, this isn't the faith that saved you. This is the faith that wins the battle. You're taking on the shield of faith. I don't know whether you realize how a shield would be 
in the Roman gladiator's day. The shield of that day was not the kind of shield we see, you know, on a coat of arms today. We might think, you know, it's this big. The shield of the Roman soldier was four feet long and two and a half feet wide. You've seen it, you know, some held on their arms, these long things protecting them, you see. And he says, put on that shield of faith. And why is that shield on there? Very, very important. That shield is on there for a specific purpose, to guard him from the attack of the enemy. And that shield was made very specially in that day so that we could understand. It was made of wood. But it had on its face a fireproof metal shield so that the fiery darts of the enemy could not penetrate to the soldier. For all of his arrows were wrapped with material and soaked and set afire as they were shot. And the Roman gladiator, he held his shield up and turned, turned away these fiery darts that were being thrown at him. Notice the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith. The promises of God. Salvation is ours. We're the soldiers of Jesus Christ. And here this great shield has been given unto us. This glorious shield of faith. And then too, that shield is, is tremendous. You see, for the devil works in many ways. The breastplate of righteousness was on. They had that. But that was only over the breast. The shield was flexible. And Satan doesn't just shoot darts straight at you. He's wily. He shoots them in from every angle. And so the shield of faith is on the arm so that you can swing it whatever way the arrows are coming from. You swing it so that those arrows with their flaming fiery darts, you'll be able to shy off by that glorious shield of faith. Now, isn't that, you see, you have to take that. Here's the, here's the warrior. Well, maybe you've seen some of those old-time films. I know none of you ever look at a film on television. But you've seen some of those old-time films, you know, with those Roman soldiers. And you see them go into the tent. Ah, the first thing they take off is the helmet. Then unbuckle a sword and lay it down. And then put the shield aside. But the armor, ah, that you leave on. You don't touch that. You see? The other three they have to take up. You see? But the other things they leave on, they leave the sandals on, they leave on the breastplate, you see? And the girdle. They don't touch that. But the minute the enemy comes, bang, on with the, you see? On with each part of the equipment so that they can go out and fight the battle. And so, 
this great transition takes place. He says, you have certain things. Remember that. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have on the girdle of truth. You have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. But you have to take some things. You have to take the shield of faith. You have to take the helmet of salvation. And you have to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is the way you're going to win the battle when the fiery darts of Satan are hurled at you. You'll have on the flame-proof shield of faith to stand against the wicked one. Now, Satan attacks us with many fiery darts doesn't he? Not just a few, let me say. Many, many, many fiery dots. I can't help how think, you know, how Satan attacks us. We're liable to think that we look at ourselves sometimes, you know, and we don't recognize it's Satan. He wouldn't be wily if you did. But you look at yourself and you say, Boy, this is terrible. I never thought I could get a thought like that in my heart. And all the time, you see, it's Satan. Fiery dart. Bing! Into the very breast. And that mind, oh, how he can work, beloved. You know yourself, if you're truthful with yourself, that you amaze yourself as a Christian and you wonder sometimes and you think, oh, it can't be. How could I ever have thought anything like that? Satan works in terrible ways. You know, Luther said that he was in his study and he was writing his great treatises. He only had two, really. Luther didn't, by any chance, you know, go through the whole Bible and make great commentaries on all the books. He had two great commentaries, Romans and Galatians. But that's enough. If you've got great commentaries on Romans and Galatians, you know what salvation is. And he was in his study, and he was writing, and at the same time, he talks of his battle with Satan. While he would be reading the Word of God and the great truths of salvation by grace without anything, the great battle was going on with Satan. And he said, Satan was driving at me with his fiery darts. And Luther, who was not a very calm man, picked up his ink pot and hurled it across the room at Satan. And he tells of how he hurled it at him because it so angered his soul that Satan could get victory even in his reading of the Scriptures. Has it ever struck you as strange? You charge it to being tired. But has it ever struck you as strange that you can concentrate on your newspaper and the stock market reports and not one bit of tiredness comes into the eyes. But you open your Bible 
and you go to read and to study and suddenly you're sleepy. You can watch television till 12 o'clock at night. Take your Bible and read it till 12. What does he say? You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against the powers of darkness. You're wrestling against Satan. And unless you recognize it, you look at yourself. And you don't in any sense understand that there's a power outside who's tremendous, and unless you have on the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, you've taken them up. You haven't laid them aside, and you're not sitting at your ease. The battle is on! There is a continual war in our members, the flesh against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Satan is working on that old flesh with all the power that he can put together. It's important to realize this. He would have us believe that everything that comes to our mind arises within us. Ah, this is a clever way to make us think that everything we think comes from within. We admit the heart of man is desperately wicked. But, beloved, you have to admit that some of the thoughts you've had you can hardly fathom as having come from a heart of a normal Christian who's living a life as fine as he can before Christ. And yet the thoughts that come in are unbelievable. Where do you think you get them? You look in yourself and you say, I wonder if I'm a Christian. That's just what Satan wants. And he throws them in. What are they? Fiery darts. You haven't got up the shield of faith. You haven't got up that fireproof shield to shield them off. Instead, you're sitting in your tent at ease and you've laid all the things down that he says, take them. He says, you have righteousness. You know, he's telling you what you have, but you've got to take these things so that you may be able to win the battle. Then, of course, how often do you realize how Satan works when you get on your knees to pray? Let me tell you. You just get on your knees to pray and see how sleepy you get and how quick. Why, you could have been excited about the television program, and then you go upstairs and get at the bedside and kneel down. And you can hardly think good enough to pray. How many of you honestly listen to God? I remember that Jesus arose early in the morning that he might speak to his Father, and that he might guide us at the time that we really should open our hearts to God in deep and fervent prayer. Never at night. I never pray when I go to bed. I just say, Lord, I thank you for the day. But when I get up in the morning, I got the day in front of me. That's the time. When I'm sleeping, it isn't likely I'll have anything but dreams. But when I'm walking and I'm awake, then is the time Satan is going to work on us. How many really pray in the morning? The devil says, pray at night. You're good and tired. You can hardly concentrate. And you don't understand it at all. 
Nine tenths of Christians do the praying based on they're sleepy. And I don't find that the Word of God says you get anything out of that kind of prayer. It says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, boy, let me tell you, to be effectual, you've got to be able to think, and to be fervent, you've got to have some passion in your heart. And at your bedside at night, after you've done everything, read the paper, taken care of the children, listened to television, you're pretty tired to be anything fervent about your prayer life. And Satan has you just where he wants you. Oh, the fiery dart, eh? How he works. And then, beloved, when I think of how we can, you know, there's a curious kind of uh, season to this thing. May I say this? Satan is so wily. You go through a nice season as a Christian. You have victories coming rolling along. Everything's great. You practically reach the point where you think you've got victory. And pride comes before the fall. And Satan is wily and watching. And then that season comes, and suddenly you're thrust in with such tremendous temptations, you can't understand it. You say, what's happened to me? Instead of saying, I better get the shield of faith, that wild devil is working at me. You see? How different, you see? If you understand it, God help us to see the word for what it says. It says you have certain things, but you've got to take the other things. And we can be easily defeated unless we take up what God has told us to take up. It's not the faith that saves it, he says, take up. It's the faith that believes the promises of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that tremendous, huh? To know that, what tremendous joy it should bring to our hearts. But all oh, those fiery dots, oh, how terrible it can be. What are they? Well, the commonest of all is our thought life. Plagues our thought life. They hurled at us, those fiery dots. You're reading your Bible. You get up in the morning. Oh, how I've read about the great saints of God, the great preachers of God, and oh, when they open their hearts and they tell. You get up in the morning and you start to pray, and in the midst of your prayer, a vile, vicious thought is in like that. Satan's fiery dots hurling them at you like your enemy. That thought life, how he can plague it. Thoughts come, suggestions, doubts. We sang that when doubts and fears assail. He'll even make the saints of God sometimes be almost blasphemous saying, God, how can you allow this to happen to me? A child of God saying that to his Father in heaven. Blasphemy even from the heart of a Christian sometimes against the Christ who loved him and redeemed him. 
Is it really you? No, beloved, I assure you, it's not flesh and blood. It's the powers of darkness, the heinous, hellish things of Satan. And I don't doubt right at this minute that his demons are within the confines of this wall. So that even while I'm preaching the word of God, some vile, unclean, vicious thought he can thrust into the heart because he is wily. And the walls of a church building cannot shut him out. Oh, you need the armor, don't you, huh? You have the first three parts, but you must take up the other three parts that you may be able to win the battle. And it's a battle. Put on the whole armor of God, not some little part of it. Every single part you need for victory. Young people, you know what I'm talking about. You need it for victory. Older people, mothers and fathers, you know what I'm talking about. We're just as human as the young folks. And we need the same kind of protection because the same vileness is part of our nature and it responds to the wiliness of the prince of darkness, even Satan. May we take up those things and win the battle. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank thee for thy precious word. We ask thee to bless it to our hearts. We ask thee that we may be warriors. Remember, Paul often speaks of us as warriors. That no man that warreth and tangleth himself with the things of this world. Because we've got a battle that is so great that unless we have armed the first three, which is given to us, and then we take up the last three of those glorious parts of the armor, we shall lose the battle with Satan. Oh, we won't lose our salvation. But we'll lose our joy, we'll lose our victory, and we'll be defeated Christians, abject in our despair, because we haven't understood that we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, Satan's fiery darts. Lord, Apply thy word to our hearts tonight, to pastor and people alike. In Christ's name, amen.